Life is filled with moments, and to help encourage powerful moments with the Lord each and every day, Dr. David Jeremiah has written a new book called Moments with God. This beautiful year-long devotional makes a wonderful companion to your personal Bible study. When you give a generous gift of $120 or more to Turning Point, you'll receive a Moments with God devotional four-pack, one for you and three to share. Donate online at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Welcome to Turning Point. It's probably one of your favorite parables. But you might be surprised to learn that the story of the prodigal son isn't about the son at all. Today, Dr. David Jeremiah reveals the real lesson to be learned from this well-known parable about God's unconditional love. To introduce today's message, God loves you, even when you don't love him, here's David. If you have been in the faith for very long, you know the story of the prodigal son, the young man who ran away, broke his father's heart, uh, ultimately returned. And we often call this story the prodigal son, but the word prodigal means unrestrained, unlimited, without any borders. And uh, many people have said that that describes the father, and they call this story the prodigal father. Because his unrestrained love is the, it's the star of the show. We'll talk about that in a few moments. It's meant to prove to us that even when we don't love God the way we should, he doesn't stop loving us. That prodigal son in the far country had no thoughts at that moment of loving his father. But his father was loving him every day, even as God loves us. So don't miss this story because it's really cool. It's Luke 15, 11 through 32. And we'll get started in just a moment. First, let me tell you that one of the evidences of God's love is his control and sovereign plan for your life. He has a plan for your life. He has a a journey for you to be on. I have a friend who, he's a doctor here, and I, I just got to know him not long ago. And he told me one day, he said, someday I'd like to uh, take some time and tell you about my journey to Christ. Well, everybody's on a journey. And the roadmap has been laid out for us by Almighty God, and He is not only the one who shows us the way, He is the way. He goes with us. And this book, Heaven Rules, brings such encouragement and comfort to us in these unsettling days. I'd love for you to have this as a copy for your library, but most of all for your life. Please ask for the book by Nancy DeMoss when you send your January gift to Turning Point. We need your help. Your investment keeps us going, but we want to we want to return uh, your act of love for us by giving you something that will that will grow you up in Christ and make you a better person. I believe this book will do that, and we want to send it to you. Just ask for it when you send your gift today. All right, here we go with God loves you even when you don't love him. Luke chapter 15, the love of God in living color. Here we go. Today, I want to talk with you about this subject. It may surprise you, but I'm going to prove it to you before I'm finished. God loves you even when you don't love him. God loves you even when you don't love him. The story that demonstrates that the best in all of the Bible is that which we normally refer to as the story of the prodigal son. And it's recorded for us in the book of Luke and the 15th chapter. So I encourage you to open your Bible to the 15th chapter of Luke. We're not going to read this whole extended passage, but we're going to follow it through as we go through the story today. Well, it's the greatest story that's ever been told. 
It's been called the crown and pearl of all the parables. The most divinely tender and most humanly touching story ever told on earth. No wonder Charles Dickens described it as the finest short story that was ever written. Others have called it the most winsome picture of God ever drawn on earth. It's the story we usually refer to as the parable of the prodigal son. But it turns out that the father and not the son is the main character. He's mentioned no less than 12 times in the span of 20 verses. It is the father who loves the prodigal even when his son is not loving him. It is the father who waits patiently for his son to return home. It is the father who initiates the process of forgiveness. It is the father who rolls out the red carpet to his sinful boy. No, this story is about a human father and his prodigal son, but it tells an even greater story about our heavenly father and all prodigal sons and daughters wherever they are found. We have opened our Bibles to the book of Luke. Luke is the only one of the four gospel writers to record this story. You won't find it in Matthew, you won't find it in Mark, and it's not in John. But Luke tells this story. And as we move through these verses together and retell this riveting story, don't miss this picture of God's love as seen in the heart of this human father. Let's begin with this thought that God loves you when you're wounding his heart. God loves you when you are wounding his heart. Luke 15 says, And a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. As Jesus' story of the lost son begins, the younger son decides that he no longer wants to be under authority at home. (laughs) That's not something we don't know about. That happens often in our culture today. But this young man approaches his father and he requests that he be given his inheritance. How many of you know inheritance don't happen normally while the person that has the money is still alive? His request was impudent and disrespectful and extremely hurtful to his father. Here in essence is what the young boy was saying. Dad, I wish you were dead. You are in the way of my plans. You are a barrier, and I want my freedom. I want my fulfillment, and I want out of this family now. I have other plans that don't involve you. They don't involve this family. They don't involve this estate. They don't even involve this village. I want nothing to do with any of you. Give me my inheritance now, and I'm out of here. Now, that kind of behavior would be egregious in our culture today, but I need to tell you, in the Jewish culture of the day in which Jesus told this story, It was more insulting than anything you can imagine. In fact, after the son left, we are told on two occasions in this story that the father referred to him as having been dead. Now, it's not stated explicitly in the story, but let me give you this little background information. We know that this was a wealthy family. We know that because this father hired servants and he had fatted calves and goats and the capacity to hire musicians and dancers at a moment's notice to throw a huge banquet. 
This is a high-profile family. This father's well-connected in the community. He's respected by everybody who knows him. And according to the Jewish laws of inheritance, when there were two sons in the family, when the father died, the father would divide his inheritance two-thirds to the older son and one-third to the younger son. The village of that day, there were no secrets. Everyone knew everyone else's business. And with the sale of the real estate, the private rift in the father's household went public. The entire family was subjected to shame and embarrassment. There was no time for damage control. The text says in a few days, the guy left. Just as the prodigal's father was wounded by his son's rebellion, our heavenly father is wounded by our sin and rejection. But notice, neither the father of the prodigal nor our Father in heaven will stop loving us. You may think you have sinned away your place in God's heart and in his family, but it cannot happen. He never will stop loving you any more than the father of the prodigal would stop loving him. God loves you when you're wounding his heart. God loves you when you're walking away. Luke 15, 13 says, And not many days after... The younger son gathered all together and he journeyed to a far country. It was just a few days after the land had been sold and he had made his unbelievable request that the prodigal pull up stakes and he left. Luke says that he gathered all together. In other words, he took what the father had given him, he liquidated it into cash and he left. The father knew that one day his son would regret his behavior He knew that his son was headed for disappointment and failure. But in spite of his own personal agony and rejected love, he allowed him to leave. Just as the father in the parable was willing to endure pain rather than disown his son, so our heavenly father sometimes releases us to reject his love and pursue our own self-will. Sometimes there is nothing as powerful as experiencing the full-on consequences of one's own sinful choices. Father could have tried to describe to his son the pain that he was about to endure, but he would not have listened. I mean, the boy's mind was made up, so the father just let him go. God loves you when you're wounding his heart, when you're walking away. Thirdly, God loves you when you're wasting your life. God loves you when you're wasting your life. It says in verses 13 and 14, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living and he spent all. Now get this picture in your mind, folks. It's not a hard image to create. Luke tells us that the prodigal gathers his things and cashes in his inheritance Some have written that he must have had to sell much of it at pennies on the dollar because he did it in a hurry. And he took off for the far country. This is more than a geographical notation. The far country is moral and spiritual separation from God. Here is this young boy with his bags full of money, determined to live it up in a faraway place. Within hours, surrounded by friends who want to help him spend his fortune. He's buying drinks and women for everyone. 
And for days he pursues this lifestyle of immorality and drunkenness, throwing his money to the wind with no accountability to anybody. Nobody's saying no to him now. (laughs) It's hard to imagine a more graphic picture of unrestrained sinfulness. But then, as it always does, his money ran out. The text says, when he had spent it all, (laughs) verse 14, He had come to town with his pockets full, and now his pockets were empty. His fortune was spent, and not to be surprised, his friends were nowhere to be found. He had sown to the flesh, and he was reaping corruption. Yet all the time this was happening, if you have a split screen on your TV, he's doing all of this. And back home is his father, yearning for his son. Loving his son never for a moment is his son out of his mind He is always thinking about this young man and what's going on in his life and loving him through it all God loves you when you're wounding his heart He loves you when you're walking away He loves you when you're wasting your life It gets worse He loves you when you're wallowing in sin And there arose a severe famine in that land, says the text, and this young man began to be in want. So he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Wallowing is a good word. Wallowing is what pigs do in a pig pen, and that's what this young man was doing. With his money all gone and his friends nowhere to be found, at this precise moment, the Bible says, a famine hit the land. The prodigal now found himself without funds, without friends, and without food. At this moment, we are told the prodigal began to think about home. He hadn't thought about home in a long time. When he was spending all this money recklessly, having all the last thing he wanted to think about was home. But now it's all gone, and home begins to be more of a thought. He couldn't go home, but you see, he had spent all his money among the Gentiles. He had squandered his inheritance, and that to the Jews was an unforgivable sin. The prodigal realized that his only hope was to recover his money And then earn the right to go home. And I know it sounds preposterous. How would he ever earn back one-third of a wealthy estate? But he really didn't have any other options, and so he thought he'd give it a try. And the Bible says that he joined himself to a citizen of that country. Very interesting expression. The word citizen is a word that suggests a wealthy patron. And the Bible says to that citizen he joined himself. Actually, it's the word glue. (laughs) To that citizen he glued himself. In other words, he found someone who was rich and he just hovered around this man and hung on to him and hoped that somehow this new relationship would get him back home. But I mean, what does a wealthy patron need with this off-scouring of humanity? So in order to get this young man off of his back, the Bible says he gave him a job slopping hogs in a pigsty. 16, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Now, this is the lowest point in the story as far as the boy is concerned. 
can't get much lower than this, especially if you're Jewish. <laughs> I mean, here he is, the son of a wealthy Jewish landowner living among what the Jews consider to be the most ceremonially unclean and despised animal on the face of the earth. I shall never forget preaching this story years ago in an event that we had in an arena. And one of our special guests that night owned pig farms everywhere. And he reminded me I was unkind to the pigs. I don't want to be unkind to the pigs today. I'm just telling you that ceremonially they were unclean to the Jewish people. The story tells us that God loves us when we're wounding his heart. And he loves us when we're walking away. And he loves us when we're wasting our life. And he loves us when we're wallowing in sin. But notice, as the story continues, he continues to love us when we're working to come back. Watch carefully what this story tells us. The Bible says in 17, but when he came to himself, when the prodigal, when the young man who had run away from home, when he came to himself, he said, he's thinking now, when it says he came to himself, it means he came to his senses. He had a moment of lucid truth about his situation. And the Bible says, when he came to himself, he thought, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I'm perishing with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Right here, Jesus says something that I have always thought was the turning point in the story. Jesus says that at that moment of his greatest misery, when he's broke and hungry and eating with the pigs, the prodigal came to himself. This expression means he came to his senses. And I've always thought that was the moment when he turned around to come back to God. But watch carefully what really is happening. I've heard numerous messages about this parable and preached several myself. And in each case we say this is the moment when the prodigal, quote-unquote, was saved. But is it? Is there anything in the text about his being sorry for what he has done? Uh, Does he even once acknowledge that he has broken the heart of his father and humiliated him in front of his community? Is there one shred of evidence in this story that the prodigal repented while he was in the far country? Not that I can find. No, what he does do is what we're all familiar with, and you will all identify. We get ourselves in a situation like that. The first thing we think about is, how can I work my way out of this mess? When it dawned on the prodigal that he was living beneath the lifestyle of the lowest man on his father's payroll, he became determined to work his way back home. There had to be some way for him to rejoin his family without facing all of his failures. So you see at this point in the story that Jesus is telling this young man is executing his own plan. I mean, as hard as it is for us to comprehend, he has still not come to the end of himself. He is still lost. If the prodigal were to find his way back into the good graces of his father as the result of his own ingenuity, the whole point of the parable is lost. You see, the sheep did not seek after the shepherd in the earlier story. The coin did not seek after the woman in the earlier story. And this prodigal is not going to seek after his father. The whole thing would be broken apart if that's what really happened. No, he's not ready yet. 
to come to the realization of his sinful behavior. Let me remind you that God loves you when you're wounding his heart, when you're walking away, and when you're wasting your life, and when you're wallowing in sin, and when you're working to come back. But he loves you too when you're wrapped in his arms of forgiveness. Here's the emotional point of the story. And the young man arose and he came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. With no place else to go and starvation facing him, the prodigal is coming home. How different he is on this road back home than he was on his way out. He left with his stomach full and his pockets full and he's coming back with both of them empty. (laughs) He's broken, he's alone. His inheritance has been lost and because of starvation his life is hanging by a thread. As he nears the village and his father's house, his father recognizes him. Someone that I read said he's probably the only one on the face of God's earth who would have recognized his son in the condition in which he presented himself. Perhaps there is something in the way that he walks, in the way that he moves, that reveals his identity. But please carefully note the story. Jesus says the father recognized his son when he was still a long way off. And the Greek text puts the emphasis on the words, a great way off indicating that the father did not remain in his house waiting for his son to come home. We are not told how long he had been gone, but what we do know is that every day this father went to some place on his property, perhaps one of the towers that guarded his farm, and there he waited patiently every day, looking over the horizon, hoping that he would see the figure of his son coming home. And the Bible says that when his father saw him, he had compassion and he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the text means he continually kissed him. He just kissed him over and over again. Literally, he raced to meet his son. Let me tell you how this plays into the Jewish culture. In the Middle East, a man of his age and position always walked in a slow dignified fashion but this father we are told is running and to do so he would have to take the front edge of his robes and pull them up in his hands like a teenager and when he does this his legs show in what is considered a humiliating posture and all of this is painfully shameful for him but his compassion and his knowledge of what this young man will face if he comes back into the village His compassion for his son is so great that he takes upon himself all of the shame and the humiliation that he knows is about to be poured out on this young man. And he rushes out to the edge of the village and there he embraces his son. There he welcomes him home. Mm. And uh, you can see in the backdrop a loving heavenly father That's what this story is all about. That's what this parable was meant to teach us. 
And we will have more of it tomorrow here on this good station. I hope you'll join us then. In the meantime, don't forget to investigate uh, the cruise to Alaska in July. The dates are the 15th through the 22nd. We have a wonderful time on the conference cruise to Alaska. And we see some of the most beautiful scenery you'll ever imagine. It's, it's just such an incredible experience. Let me tell you how I know that. I've been to Alaska over 30 times. I keep going back. I want to go every year. It just it, it refreshes my soul and my life. And if you've never been to Alaska, or if you have been to Alaska, why not think about joining us this July, the 15th through the 22nd, as we visit this wonderful place that God has created. Information about this is available at davidjeremiah.org. If you go there, you'll find it, and uh, you'll have everything you need to make your reservation and join with us. Don't forget also that Turning Point creates a magazine every month, and we mail it out to several hundred thousand people. This magazine has devotional content for every day, Monday through Friday, and for each weekend. That devotional content is also available to you uh, through um, the Internet. You can request that and have it downloaded into your email box every day. Fresh bread in your oven every morning when you get up. I hope you'll take advantage of these opportunities. I also hope you'll have a great day. We'll see you right here tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, God Loves You, He Always Has, He Always Will, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Heaven Rules by Nancy DeMoss Wolgamuth and learn to find comfort and courage in this chaotic world. This powerful book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in several cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue God Loves You, He Always Has, He Always Will, here on Turning Point. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. If I ask you to define Christianity using just four words, which four would you choose? 
I can't think of any four words that do a better job of describing Christianity than the four suggested by Samuel Wilberforce, a 19th century British Anglican bishop. He said, four words describe Christianity, admit, submit, commit, and transmit. Here's my understanding of Wilberforce's four words. We admit Christ as the Son of God. We submit to His leadership. We commit to following Him with our whole life, and we transmit His teachings to others. Those four words pretty well cover what it means to be a Christian. Wouldn't you agree? This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's purpose for Christianity on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.